Welcome to another episode of Global Peer Financing Associations, or GPFA's Peer Connections podcast. We're excited to share with you today a fireside chat on the genesis of Global Peer Financing Association that occurred in December of 2020, a few months ago, during CAIP's virtual forum series. The discussion was led by Charles Quintal and included GPFA founding members Robert Gooby from Hoop, Dan Kiefer from CalPERS, and Lisa Mantella from Osler. The fireside chat focused on how the Global Peer Financing Association was formed for the benefit of the global beneficial owner members actively engaged in securities financing. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Let's meet our speakers. First, we welcome Robert Gooby, Assistant Vice President, Collateral Management, Fixed Income and Derivatives at the Healthcare of Ontario Pension Plan. Robert is joined by Dan Kiefer, Investment Manager, California Public Employees Retirement System, CalPERS, and Lisa Mantello, a partner, Banking and Financial Services of Osler, Hoskin, Harcourt, LLP. And moderating today's fireside chat is a good friend, Charles Quintal. He's the President and Retirement Committee, Assembly of Quebec Catholic Bishops. Charles, and our honored fireside chat guest, the virtual stage is yours. Thank you very much. I'm going to introduce Robert Gooby, who's actually the chairman and also the founder of the GPFA. So Robert, thanks for joining in today. When we decided to start this association that includes a number of large institutional investors, what was your vision? Before I address that question, maybe I just take a couple of seconds to introduce myself. I'm sure. Robert Gooby. I work for the Healthcare of Ontario Pension Plan. I joined Hoop at 2000. The plan was about 12 billion at a time. Today, almost 21 years later, we are about 101 billion. And at Hoop, we employed a liability-driven investment strategy. We employed that strategy back in 2007. So in a lot of ways, we have a lot of bonds and we are very large user of derivatives in our toolkit. And my role at Hoop, my job is really truly to manage a balance sheet. And when I think about managing a balance sheet, we look to optimize balance sheet. And once our balance sheet is optimized, we look to lend that balance sheet out and create an ultra as well. So anyway, just a small background about myself, but in terms of the GPFA and how it was started and Dan, we get a chance to add on to this point, but I've been going to conferences for the last 12 years, beneficial owner conferences. And every year we meet in Florida or California, wherever it is. And we have these sessions where there's custodian banks, there's a lot of market participants. And then there's a small breakout session where the buy side get to speak with each other and try to talk about what's going on and what they see is needed in the industry. And we start building trust with Dan at Calpers. And among Dan, we just Calpers, Ohio, Swip. So all these pension plans start getting together. And we start realizing, well, hey, we actually have all the assets in our balance sheet. And the industry is built in such a way that the buy side is forced to go down a certain path. And we say, hey, why don't we take this situation here and we could come together, share network, share knowledge, shape the industry, set new standards, lobby different activities within the industry and figure out a way how we can do peer-to-peer trading. And that genesis started back in 2008 for me. Probably to pass it on to Dan to maybe introduce himself and say his part before we go into more in-depth discussions. Yeah, thank you, Rob. So I've been with CalPERS going on 28 years. And when I joined CalPERS, I got handed the securities lending business been a long time ago. And what I found in the securities lending business is it was very non-transparent. I started asking questions. And at that point, our custodian was handling our securities lending business. 
a custodian says, well, that's just something that we do for you and it offsets your fee base. And the more questions I started asking, the more I found that the securities lending at that point, there really was not much financing business. It was very non-transparent and that the custodians, our bank custodian, mainly had a monopoly on that business. And it was a very lucrative business. And then we started peeling things back. We started asking questions amongst our peers. So we'd go to these conferences and have breakout sessions. And we started sharing with one another. At that point, it was about what's your fee split? How much are you paying your custodian? And we started peeling the onion back. And pretty soon we found as a group of beneficial owners that we held all the cards in the deck and had passed our deck off to the custodian. So we started engaging one another yearly. And then Rob Gooby comes along in 08. And he's like, you guys, we need to organize. We need to organize ourselves. We hold all the cards. And Rob really pushed the whole concept of the Global Peer Financing Association. We have the assets. We have the credit quality. Why are we giving all of our money away to the banks and broker dealers when we could be working with each other? And we formed this as an educational kind of association, but also as a way to disintermediate the banks who we'd traditionally gone through. And then you're facing off with some of the best credits in the world. So the asset owners have great credits. So why would we go through a credit that wasn't as good as our own to partner and pay a fee for that? And that's kind of the genesis of how this whole thing happened, Charles. Dad, you probably give me a little too much credit. Yes, a bit of my idea, but the truth is when we brought Lisa into the fold, she actually bring the legal piece together and Lisa, work with all our legal counsel and really and truly hand it to us in a bowl. We had the vision, we had the trade, but we didn't have the know-how to put this association together from a legal point of view, because we were very informal. And maybe Lisa, if you want to say your experience of the association that was formed and the board membership is by peers, for peers, and from a legal point of view, because it's very interesting to know that we are more of a, as a pure legal entity, as an actual corporation, it's a non-for-profit association. Thanks for that, Rob. So Rob is giving me a lot of credit, but he's actually the mastermind behind all of this. As anyone who knows Rob knows that he is a mastermind. So Rob and I have talked about this for a long time. We talked about what it was going to look like. And it is, as he mentioned, it is a non-for-profit formed in, in Delaware. And it's very similar to the other industry associations in financial services. So it's a very similar association to ISDA or ICMA or ISLA, which are, as I'm sure all of you know, are the derivative securities lending and repo associations. And the idea behind the association is that it really is for peers run by peers. There is a board of directors, which all of the founding members are part of, and everything is very transparent. And the goal of the association really is an educational goal, a goal to make sure that there is a foundation, there is infrastructure for the peers to be able to trade with each other and not just through an agent lender. So, so that's sort of the genesis of how this came up. And you know, we've worked for a long time to get it going. There were a number of challenges in terms of how to set it up, but you know, it's taken us a couple of years, but we're finally now here and we're up and running. And I think everyone's very excited about that. There's a lot of opportunities here. Thank you, Lisa. That's quite interesting because this is a new association that actually includes quite a few pension funds and it's gaining ground. So what motivates the new members to actually come along and how do they do that? Do they have any challenges? What are the issues that they need to deal with? 
I'll address one of the biggest challenges we found early on is that many of the peers are unrated. So you're dealing with an unrated counterparty. So we had to figure out a non-standard counterparty rating process because many of our policies and procedures, they dictate that you need to have a rating from two out of the three major credit rating agencies. And when you go through the credit rating process, it's both expensive and it's kind of intrusive. And then you're basically handing a lot of your cards over to the rating agencies. But we found that by knowing your client and by digging through and actually going through this non-standard rating process that we develop, and also using an alternative vendor that takes a look at how the banks rate us, that we were able to get comfortable with one another. And we actively get reports in from each other on our assets. Because if you think about it, most of us, you could take a look at it as an asset-backed general obligation. Like the state of California is one of the largest economies in the world. And we're kind of an arm of the state, but we also have assets along with the state backing. So we're a very strong credit. And if you take a look at Hoop or OPERS or SWIB, some of the strongest credits in the world, but very non-traditional credits. We know how to look at ourselves and we know how to look at each other because we're pension funds. So getting over that hurdle was kind of a big haul and developing this network effect. You know, as Lisa mentioned, once you get kind of a legal organization and how you can frame your relationships with each other from a legal standpoint, from a technology standpoint, and from a credit standpoint, that allows you a common background in order to trade. Then you can figure out how you want to interface either financing or securities lending or just sharing ideas and information. If I may interject here, the whole thing about not having a credit rating on the counterparty and I would say implementing that in your investment policies, you've got challenges internally with your credit department and maybe your executive committee and all that stuff, all those people. So you need to work this into your organization so that there's going to be some kind of carve out for you guys. How does that work? Because there's a lot of political and interpolitical aspects that people who are interested in that today, they will have to face that. Well, we have to get all of our counterparties approved through a derivative and counterparty approval process. Mm -hmm. So we had to educate our own staff on how we looked at each other. And I remember one of our senior fixed income officer, when we were going through hoops rating, we started to present hoop and he's like, these guys are overfunded. They're one of the best credits I've ever seen. Why haven't we been trading with these guys? So once the light bulbs come on, it's a very easy process, but there is a know your client process. And then the assets aren't leaving the door. We're funded. There's no flight risk of assets. Like I said, we're better credits than the custodians and many of the bank broker dealers. Charles, just to uh, talk about new members, uh, this give you a sense what's going on with the association. We started with four members, Calpers, Hoop, State of Wisconsin, and Opus. And the idea there was if you have a lesson four is not enough, and we, we thought four was the right number of uh, institutions to work with. And we got to work through a lot of different things. We got to work through legal, credit, operation, technology, just management in general, right? But yeah. as we start moving through that and you think about it, we start off with the four pension plans and we had close to a trillion US dollars combined asset. Wow. We incorporated July 15th and today we have over 15 members and about 9 trillion, 9 to 10 trillion of when we think about a combine of lendable assets. And what that is doing is it's really and truly creating an environment and a platform for us to communicate, share a lot of different knowledges and experiences. And then we figured a way how we could work with each other and help each other. 
Because the reality of this thing is if you look back and you think about the environment that we're in, we're in an environment where there's $24 trillion of negative yield. Pension plans in the US alone is about $1.9 trillion underfunded. Yep. And the financing industry, the revenues generated is over $65 billion. And we think if we work together, we could extract back some of that value. And if we get 1%, we at $650 million back wow. to frontline workers. And the association also thinks about ESG. And really and truly what we look at when we think about ESG, we think more on the S, on the social aspect, because we pay in over 15 million pension checks on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And our fiduciary duty is to try to invest that asset and to get every beep count so we could continue to pay those checks. And we don't have a situation where we get deeper and deeper into underfunded status. And that's kind of like the genesis and what is driving. And the idea of, from who perspective and from the GPFA perspective, every beat matter and every cent matter. And we got to have to try to get that back into our hands. And we really and truly think about from a global perspective, we want our pensioners and our old age citizens to retire with dignity. And how we do that is by investing and investing smartly and trying to figure out ways to get back those assets and revenues back to the beneficial owners. That's really interesting because what you're saying, in other words, is that before someone, before getting into the GPFA, could be, and I hate to use this expression, kind of another pilot, but basically what you are doing is that really lifting up the hood and see where you can gain efficiencies, basically, in the process. Yeah, yeah. so yes, yeah, so, and I agree with that. In the past, and I think most so in the U.S., and maybe Dan could speak to it, and if it's at comparing pension plans in different parts of the world, in the U.S., they're very much hands-off, the calculus is not. And in Canada, I think the pension plans in Canada is probably leading where we are real investment managers and we look to hire a lot of different seasoned professionals. And within that process, we find a way to decode or disintermediate or figure out where we could add value and then really truly looking to add value all the time. And part of the reason thinking about global, we have members from Australia, the UK, US, and we really and truly want to share experiences and then figure out the best of breed and implement it within our system or within the group. Dan, if you want to make a comment on the U.S. pension systems compared to like what a Canadian stuff like that? Well, our Canadian peers have always been very sophisticated and the securities lending business in the U.S. has mainly been treated or historically been treated as kind of a back office operational business. But going forward as pension funds age, and return hurdles become more difficult. To me, you have to look at many different ways in order to meet your returns. And as Rob was saying, just this disintermediation trading with each other. And if you think about it from an efficiency frontier curve, the more opportunities you have on that efficiency frontier curve, you're actually moving up and out on the efficiency frontier curve. So that's a way of actually meeting your return with taking less risk. So you actually take less risk and increase your return base by increasing the number of participants that you can trade with. So I think that's a big key to this, is being able to know who you're trading with and kind of de-risking and increasing your return opportunities. That makes a good point. Know who you're trading with. In order to know who you're trading with, we go through the credit rating process and we do all the risk work, but it's a legal component that we need to have. Maybe, Lisa, if you just want to talk about the legal documents, with all the legal docs, you can't trade. I think this is a, for the audience to have an idea of what is required from a legal perspective. 
Of course. So from a legal perspective, I actually think there are quite a few efficiencies here. I think one thing that people will be happy to know is that the organization is trading with standard industry documents. So we are still using the GIMSLA, the Global Master Securities Lending Agreement for securities lending, and the GIMRA, the Global Master Repurchase Agreement for repos, and is the documents for derivatives. So I do think that the documents are the same. In some cases, it's much more efficient because you're directly dealing with your counterparty as opposed to an agent lender or a custodian. So it really does cut down on the type, on the relationship because you're really just dealing with your ultimate counterparty. There's nobody in the middle. There's no intermediary there. So I think that that's helpful from a legal perspective. And then the other thing is that the organization, we are working on a technology solution. And I do think, you know, we've seen some of this stuff. ISDA has a solution and that's moving towards being all technology-based. And I think the entire industry in derivatives and in sec lending and in repos could all work there. So that is something that we are thinking about. As everyone knows, I'm sure you're aware, negotiating these legal documents does take a long time. There's a lot of backlog. For some reason, both in securities lending and in repos, there seems to be a big learning curve. It seems to take longer than it necessarily should. In my mind, there's no reason why these documents should take months to negotiate, but they do for some reason. So we're hoping that we can come up as an industry with a technology solution that makes a lot of this a lot easier for people so that there's efficiencies there. And then we can start trading as opposed to negotiating all of these legal forms. So so what you'll be coming with is that set of standard documents, which I believe you probably have at this point in time. Is that correct? We are still using all of the industry standard documents, but I think that there is some work being done to moving some of those to online, if that's a possibility. I think there are opportunities there to move this all online and to be done much quicker and much easier. So that's good. And you have a potential new member then could have access to these documents, but as technology evolves, then they will have access to a flow type of trade that will be much easier to actually get done, right? That's, That's right. I think nobody likes to negotiate these documents for months and months at a time. That really shouldn't be what's happening here. So we're working towards making that as efficient as possible to get deals done, the trades done as quickly as possible. So basically, you draw expertise from the existing documents in the existing industry standard documents, but basically you have adapted those documents to the GPFA. Is that correct? We haven't adapted them for, to the GPFA, but we're looking at solutions there. We're not quite yes. there yet, but we're, we're progressing. That's one of our objectives. And these objectives take a long time to get done. But once you have a goal and you start working towards it, we could potentially get there. And maybe if I just take a step back and think about the GPFA as a whole and some of the objectives. Yes, networking is one, but we're looking at how we can impact the market infrastructure overall and what type of changes we need to make from a market structure point of view, infrastructure point of view. Yeah. How do we think about credit? Dan talked a lot about credit and we talk about the different ways we as a buy side community think about credit and we're going to try to formalize that and come up with best practices and make it easier for all of us to deal with each other. Same from a legal perspective as well. Lisa is going to help us out with that. And then the trades, and then maybe we do some trading as well, and we figure out that type of trade, what trades we do, how we're going to get it done. And once you think about those trading, a trade is just, it's very easy. Anyone could do a trade. The difficult thing about a trade is actually in the sec lending space or the repo space is the management of that trade, the life cycle of the trade, the operation aspect, and the technology that goes with it. 
those are the challenges and those are the things that we will be focusing on. And we're going to create subgroups. We have a subgroup that focus on legal. We have a subgroup that's going to be running ESG, a subgroup that focusing on global macro thinking. And, and these are all buy side perspective. The agenda is not driven by vendors or other market participants. It's driven by real money account. Circling back to Dan's comment about the lucrative business, for lack of a better word, uh, that the custodian banks had, you know, between the two, they did provide some services and they did some, provide some technological platform. So all of a sudden, this wouldn't the association, this seems to disappear. So, uh, for instance, you know, there are a number of issues to be addressed so that you can, you can actually do that together. And one, one burning question I have in mind, how do you manage uh, the collateral in both ways? Well, the one thing I want to get back to is there's a saying that we came in early on that we're better together. And we have about a hundred years of experience amongst the four people, the founding members. So the collateral schedules is very simple. These are bilateral trades and they basically a traditional collateral schedule. So operationally it can be done a variety of ways, depending on entity that's involved in the trade or who's pairing off on the trade. You know, Rob has the ability to do bilateral. He marks everything internally and he can basically take almost any collateral set. There's other people that have more difficulty with different collateral sets. We outsource our operational backend, our securities lending operational backend to a company called ESEC Lending that we've used for years. So that makes it easier for us. They can interface with other members. Other members, they might want to use somebody else. So we want to not make the back end a hurdle or a stumbling block for people, but we try to understand everyone's limitations and work around those limitations. So it's mainly a better together model. It's a damn point about limitations. And if you think about the challenges, not just for GPFA, but in terms of buy side community in order to run a financing business, second and repo business, there's about four or five big challenges you've got to overcome. First, you have to have management support. If you don't have your management support, then you just can't get anywhere. I was lucky I had the management support and I'm still lucky I have management support. The second thing you need is really good legal infrastructure and credit and risk work. You either do it internally or you outsource it. We tend to use both when it comes to legal, we insource and we outsource some of the work as well, some of the legal contracts. And you also have to have a lot of different counterparties to deal with. In my case, Hoop did over 300 agreements in the last 12 years. So we talk about management support, legal. The other important aspect is operation. You need to have the operation capabilities to support these trades. And Dan's solution or Calpa's solution is to outsource. Hoop's solution, we had a different model where we insource. And again, that's just a, the company and contrast with the U.S. pension plan and the Kenya pension plan. So we insource that activity. And the last piece that is very important is technology. And you can buy the solution is, or you could outsource a solution. And again, who choose to build the technology in-house and, and potentially we might even share it with other pension plans at the right time. Everything is about the time and how much more we want to invest in the business. But we probably say we build a world-class collateral management system in-house. That's interesting. It's as if you had a collateral management system hotel, if I can say so, for new members to actually jump in and actually be an active trader, of course, with the proper legal contractual framework so that it could work well. If we get back to the legal aspect, Lisa, so what else do we need to cover up? I was listening um, you had a great interview with uh, Hoops Legal Counsel there on the GPFA uh, website, and we're doing drawing a parallel between the existing agreements, between the UK agreements and the New York-based law uh, agreement. Can you just speak about these different agreements now, 
this GPFA all fits in, you know, with respect to the, the owner agreement that they will have to, to design. Sure, absolutely. So I do, I think I did mention this in the podcast, with who, which I welcome anyone to listen to. I do think that it's a very simple solution from a legal perspective, because I think that all that is changing from going to sort of an agency model to our, our peer model is really who you're trading with. So instead of having a principal agency relationship where the custodian bank is trading on your behalf, you're trading directly with your counterparty. So in, in a lot of ways, that's a lot simpler because you are negotiating the documents directly with that counterparty. And as you mentioned, Charles, we are using standard form documents. We're using the GIMS law, which is for securities lending. We're using the GIMRA for repos or the, the master repurchase agreement, the MRA. And these are all agreements that I think everyone is familiar with. And so none of that is really changing. It's just a matter of who you are negotiating it with. And there's not the intermediary involved anymore. You're doing it directly with the other members. So in a lot of ways, in my view, I do think it's becoming simpler from a legal perspective as to more difficult. Could I just add one point, Lisa, uh, comment and think about when we think about the GPFA is not just about dealing on a bilateral basis on when you come when you think about financing. There's a different route to market in the segmenting space. The traditional way is have your agent lend and lend your securities. And that's what it's done for years, and that's fine. And some pension plans prefer to do that way because they don't have all the support. The business is very low margin, but high volume. And you can make a lot of revenue if you run it properly. And that's a different story, right? So there's one way to think about it. Your agent lender could get you to the market. The other way is you, as a beneficial owner, could take more control of your lending activities and direct the agent lender to lend to other beneficial owners. And that is another step up or another area of getting into this peer-to-peer world where then you have the agent lender lending the securities out for you. You can think about it another way as well. You could have like what Dan uses, he uses a third-party uh, lender who does the operation and lending. And in my case, when I deal with Dan, I trade through ESEC lending. And I don't know if it's ultimate, but the other way you think about it, if you uh, insource the operation, then you could do bilateral. And at least I made a point, well, you don't need any intermediaries and it's easier to get the legal work done, but there's a trade-off. It's probably easier legally, but it's more difficult operationally. So we got to think about the trade-off. And there's also a hybrid system. I mean, there's, for our cash desk, we could deal directly just like Rob does. And through our SEC lending agreement, we can outsource. So you can choose what you outsource or insource. So what ends up happening with this is it creates flexibility and it creates multiple ways to improve your revenues over time and improve your opportunities. You know, one of the things that uh, you both said, uh, Dan, or we addressed it uh, differently, Dan, you were saying that, you know, yes, of course, the custodian banks were having a lucrative business on one side. Robert, you said, you know, we can roll these assets and being more efficient, extract more value. You know, if I was using banking terms to say this, it's as if you were creating fee business, basically, rather than investment business. The way you're trading that and the way you're becoming more efficient. Does that make sense, saying it like that? When I started the conversation, I said we are liability-driven investing fund. When we think about liability-driven investing, we have two portfolios at the highest level, a liability hedge portfolio, and that portfolio hedges a liability, and we have another portfolio that does return-seeking activities, and that is an alpha-generated portfolio. And if you think about a second lending business, yes, it's a fee business anyways, and I would think about like a beta business as well. I have a fee business happening, and then I could try to do trades to add 
additional alpha. And I think when it's run right, it does move the needle. And yes, and, and it's an uncorrelated to the market because you tend to make that alpha that pay a lot of pension checks here. It pays the overhead basically because you yeah. trade, trade and it's opportunity-based. Basically, you see that there's a trade and you do it, you in and out basically. It's, it's almost like playing golf, right? You're playing best ball. You know, there's one guy who can hit it 175 down the middle. And then maybe we get a 200 and next guy going to swing. So in our business, it's golf, best ball, hit it down 175, 200 down the middle. You get one in the fairway. Then the guys could take risks and take other trades on. But we, and, and most of the business that we do, all the business that we do is all collateralized business. Yeah. And you really and truly only have a mark to market to worry about on a daily basis. And all the CSAs are all zero threshold CSAs or the haircuts are appropriate to deal with pension plans. And pension plans doesn't really go very up or whatever, like another market participant does. So in our case, we feel very secure dealing with, with peers and we could choose to deal with a peer in multiple different ways. And it's not about cutting off the, the, the middleman, but it's about thinking about expanse, be more inclusive. And the truth is some of these market participants is too expensive for them to do regular GC business. And they prefer buy side to deal with each other because the capital charge for a GC trade that is making 10 or 12 beeps is not worth it to put it in their balance sheet. Yep. And as the pension plans, as we do those simple trades, and then we can get more sophisticated with time. Well, I like your best ball uh, illusion, you know, because if I'm a small pension plan, which is less sophisticated than, than the, the, the calpers of this world or the hoops of this world, all of a sudden I'd like to get on this trade, you know, I'd like to see how I can optimize my balance sheet and get the same uh, juicy return. So how am I to be comfortable with the members in an association like that? Should I be concerned about the uh, rogue traders that could take uh, advantage of myself or uh, as a smaller, less sophisticated pension fund? How should I look at that? So when you take a look at pension funds, I mean, pension funds have long-term time horizons. We are a multi-generational pension fund. So when you're squaring off with another pension fund and you have a legal document, you don't have a legal document with some rogue trader. The documentation that's signed is basically you have a counterparty on the other side of that trade. So you don't have rogue traders and you have civil servants on the other end and you have an alignment of interests. The pension funds, they're more closely aligned with each other than working with the street. How, how are we aligned with the street? The intention of the association is to educate, to pay pension checks. And we have the similar goals. Our goal is to raise cash, which we collect pension checks every day from every month from our pension of our employees and or for members, and then we pay those pension checks out. So it's a line, and we have a fiduciary duty, and, and these trades are not market-driven, market risk trade, it's a counterparty risk, really. So I don't think it's gonna happen, and that's not the intention whatsoever within the group. And I'd like to circle back with Lisa. Lisa, you know, you're legal counsel to the association. So are you in a kind of a conflict of interest? I'm not saying that badly. You know, should a client go to you and say, I want to join in, you know, and I want to use your legal services. How would that work? No, I mean, we don't view it as a conflict of interest because we don't see that to be a legal conflict. We're also always available to talk people through, you know, what are the legal consequences here? Um, we only really view things to be a conflict when we are opposed to other members, and that's not happening in this situation at all. There's very little risk involved from a legal perspective of joining the association. It's a matter of when you're negotiating the documents to enter into trade, 
that's no different in the association or out of the association from a legal perspective. So, you know, we don't view any of this really as a conflict. We're there to help, we're there to facilitate, and we represent other industry associations as well, and we see that in the same way. I'd like to leave the closing comments to the chairman and founder of the association, Rob Gobi. Rob, it's all yours, and congratulations for having started all this. Thank you. I mean, for me, if I leave the last comments to me, I would think about what do I want in the future? And the truth is it took us 12 years to get here. Me going to conferences, getting the support of the likes of Dan and Lisa and all the other members, and really happy to see the membership growing from 1 trillion to 19 trillion of lendable assets. And I also think in the future, in the next, as we move on from here, we are planning to get the seed of these members to speak with each other. We did already speak already, but we providing a platform for them to have discussions on. Mm-hmm. And we also would love to expand. There's a reason why we call it Global Peer Financing Association. And right now we're focusing on the short end of the curve, which is liquid collateral. And at, at some point, we would love to see an infrastructure group work with us uh, and from the different members and same with real estate and same with private equity. So it's going to be a growing organization and it's just started to grow. So who do I call if I'm interested? Ghostbusters. No, you can just see. <laughs> uh, so sorry about that, but there's a website, globalpeerfinancingassociation.org, or you could follow us on LinkedIn, GPFA or Global Peer Financing Association. We have a LinkedIn page as well. Thank you very much to our panelists, Lisa, Robert, Dan, It was an absolute pleasure to be with you today. Thank you very much. Well, that was a great discussion. We hope you learned a lot from Rob, Dan, and Lisa. And we'd welcome you, if you're interested to learn more about GPFA, to visit the website at globalpeerfinancingassociation.org, or you can find the group on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, and please stay tuned for future episodes of Peer Connections by GPFA.